Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your hosts, Mike Fagan and Tim Ben. We're opinion, fact, informative, and your alert system. Now let's get ready to rumble. Good day once again, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for rejoining Mike and Tim on Where Did Our Gas Tax Money Go? This Wednesday episode here on Right Spokane Perspective. Now, everyone in high school admired Jack's easygoing attitude and athletic skill. He was happiest in midair above half pipe ramp, one hand holding a skateboard and the other stretched out for balance. Jack decided to follow Jesus after he started attending a local church. Up to that point, he'd endured significant family struggles and had used drugs to medicate his pain. For a while after his conversion, things seemed to be going well for him. But years later, he started using drugs again. Without the proper intervention and ongoing treatment, he eventually died of an overdose. It's easy to turn back to what's familiar when we face difficulty. When the Israelites felt the distress of an upcoming Assyrian attack, they crawled back to the Egyptians, their former slave masters, for help. God predicted that this would be disastrous, but he continued to care for them, although they made the wrong choice. Isaiah voiced God's heart. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. This is God's attitude toward us, even when we choose to look elsewhere to numb our pain. He wants to help us. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves with habits that create bondage. Certain substances and actions tempt us with a quick sense of relief, but God wants to provide authentic healing as we walk closely with him. You know the drill, folks. Father God, you are a loving God. Please set us free from sinful patterns. Help us to turn to you when we are tempted to find relief in something else. In your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we need to uh, hope that our legislature finds ways to not turn back to their uh, evil habits. Like, where did the money go? Yeah, no doubt like the, about it. The money it. just disappears. They make promises. Of course, politicians are really, really good at that, about making promises. But it seems like the same promise always gets made over and over and throughout a long period of time because they don't get kept. In fact, they just like kick the can down the road so that they can make the promise again in the next election campaign and people forget, wait, you uh, you already told us that was going to be done last time. Yeah, exactly, man. Oh, and the time before. And yeah, exactly. You nailed it, man. Two times in a row we're talking in a, a matter of three legislative sessions, ladies and gentlemen. Here is your headline. Inslee's transportation budget proposal could delay the North-South Freeway by another six years, folks. Now, Governor Jay Inslee's transportation budget would delay funding and completion of the North Spokane Corridor, despite the project being on time and on budget. Well, I'll tell you something, folks. If you guys recall, when Michael Baumgartner was a Washington state legislator, senator, if you will, he worked out a compromise deal and got the thing passed to fully fund the North-South Freeway. And that was through a gas tax and everything was good to go. And we were looking at a completion of roughly about 2027 to 2029, somewhere in that two-year well, time believe, frame. You know, I believe that was actually a deal that when you're talking about local legislators, and the news headlines that were circulating in our region because you know the semi-traffic and the commuter traffic flowing through Spokane arterials is killing our streets we need a freeway that's why larger metropolitan areas have numerous freeways yes that are concrete that are heavier duty than arterial streets that's right so our streets are getting ruined we all know that 
And so, you know, we had these legislators in Marcus Riccelli mm-hmm. in the House, and we had Bumgardner in the Senate, and they were great friends. They play pickleball together. You know, we saw the stories and the headlines, and we're getting the freeway for you. Bipartisan, all the keywords, and basically, you know, my elders, that they said, we won't live long enough to see it. And I said, no, see, they passed this thing. And they're like, no, you don't know. It's not going to happen. Right. Uh, no, it is. They, they passed this thing. We're paying this tax. You know, that you know. I think there's legal obligations here. You know, they have to finish it. And they're like, no, we won't live to see it. I'm like, come on. Don't be such a skeptic. We're, they were right. Yeah, exactly. And right. I'll tell you, you know, after that ended up occurring, I worked even harder on behalf of the people in my particular council district because that freeway was going right down the center of my council oh, yeah. district. Definitely. And the work was stalled for whatever reason, the environmental aspect of it, the, the non-discussions there was the, there was that were the black going tank. on. There was the yeah. black tank. And then there was a whole bunch of stuff surrounding the neighborhoods and people wanting more amenities. So then it was more about the children of the sun trail exactly and decorations and lots of things and then they had to have all these community discussions and even though in the most for the most part it looked like the dot kind of ran over the community discussions a little bit in district one but at the same time they're supposed to pave a freeway they're not you know all these other projects understandably the neighborhoods are greatly affected i know because i was a neighborhood council chair of a neighborhood that was greatly affected but they can't leave all the roads open we can't have an, a bridge every you know two blocks because it just makes the expense of the freeway too much exactly but all of that got derailed if you will and they said we're going to get it done and the tax got raised and we thought it was going to get done and then what happened and then they ended up they the legislature ended up postponing it out until about 2029 ish if you will only to come back the very next session and levy another gas tax which was going to expedite the completion of the freeway so i mean we've already been taken on this thing at least twice well you know having to dig deeper in our pockets in order to make this thing a reality how many many times since 1955 right yes no no i get it and this is how they operate and and when you look at raising costs every time they do this they make the freeway more and more expensive i remember that the completion of the freeway at the first gas tax I think was some crazy number like eight hundred million dollars. Yes, and exactly. Then, and then the second tax that they raised, the the it was like I think it was one point two billion. <laughs> I, I think it was close, but I think they were advertising another eight hundred and fifty million. But it was like, wait a minute, it was eight hundred million to complete from where they were at. They made it closer to francis they got some of this other infrastructure pieces in they moved mountains of dirt they did all of these grade changes they did all this legal paperwork and all this stuff and then the environmental stuff and now it's still 850 million to finish <laughs> like when does price ever change i mean how far do you have hey, to go it's transitory inflation man they're gonna get this thing right up next to the homeless encampment down off of thor and second and they're gonna say 850 million and we'll have it done <laughs> you know and, and so no it'll probably still happen i think by that 2029 deadline but what they'll do is they'll just play games taking more and more and more of our money and they'll expand the scope of the project to include more amenities which 
maybe some people would like to see more of those amenities, but you're also going to see a lot more money flowing in other places throughout WashDOT before it ends up at the freeway. Yeah, you betcha, man. Anyway, Spokane and state transportation leaders are pushing back against Washington Governor Jay Inslee's proposed transportation budget, which would pull funding from the North Spokane corridor for four years. Now, they keep constantly delaying it again. What's going to happen, said Thomas Wirtz, a North Spokane resident. Residents are going to be asked for some kind of tax money. Watch. It's a whole money thing to me now. Governor Inslee's biennial transportation budget lists zero funding for the project from 2023 to 2027 before funding picks up again in future budget cycles running from 2027 to 2035. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we have been sold a false bill of goods here because well, we've already voted twice to tax ourselves on our gas in order to get this thing completed and now this funding is getting pulled out of the 2023 to 2027 transportation, transportation budget, budget. yeah so well, like, give me a break here and you start looking at the cost to the local taxpayer when it comes to your transportation cost you know when you're waiting at lights when you're waiting because there's road construction is never going to get finished it seems like and you've got all these cars that could be on the freeway that could be on the north side. You look at the semi trucks that could be. Uh, isn't that the busiest T one truck route in yeah. all of Eastern Washington? Yeah, through a city. So you look at Market Street and the roads that the heavy traffic is using that could be on a concrete freeway designed to handle those kinds of right. numbers and weight of traffic. Market Street's falling apart. So it's not just the weights at the lights because of how much traffic there is using our arterial streets, but it's the damage to the streets. And then the damage to the streets does what, Mike? It causes damage to your car. It does. So you're hitting the potholes, you're getting the rock chips in the window, you're getting the chunks of asphalt that are thrown at your, the front of your car and paint chips and all that stuff. Those are all costs that we pay on top of having delay after delay after delay. And then we're also going to have to fund our local streets department to do another grind and overlay on the same section of market they just did like two years ago. Exactly. Yeah, I know. And that is definitely not the way to maintain streets. I mean, temporary for a couple of years. Okay, fine. But I have a feeling that, you know, uh, either before Woodard gets out of office or immediately after the November election this year, man, you're probably going to be hearing either the current mayor or a new mayor talk about a new street levy bond or well, street levy proposal. They're, they're going to want to say, or it's just going to chew up more of the current levy that we're under sure and there'll be less roads uh, residentially maybe some s smaller arterial roads that some neighborhoods would like to see fixed it won't get fixed because right. streets like market street that we need it for infrastructure for you know transport of goods if you get food at the grocery store those trucks drive market street yeah you, you know, betcha. there's a lot of things in District 1 that deliver, you know, plumbing supplies. You name it, it's in District 1 that manufacturing and food production and food services, it's Market Street. So they're going to have to fix that road this year. So we're going to see, again, massive long lines as they have to close down lanes of Market Street to yet again fix it when it should still be fine. Yeah, it should be.
Anyway, the story continues, folks. The idea of the 10-and-a-half-mile north-south freeway was first conceived in the 1940s. The project finally broke ground in 2001. In November, Washdot explained why the actual construction has taken decades. The simple answer of why it's taken so long is funding has been sprinkled out through so many years, according to Washdot's communication manager, Ryan Overton. So, since Are, have we passed the Overton window? We <laughs> yeah. should ask Ryan Overton if the Overton window's just closed. Right. So, since 2001, there's been so much money allocated, which is why it wasn't done all at once. The funding wasn't all available right in 2001. Now, five and a half miles of the NSC, or North-South Corridor, is already finished with another two miles set to open in the fall of 2023. Local leaders say the project has managed to stay on budget and on schedule despite the challenges of the pandemic. Now, while the governor's current budget proposal doesn't include any of the funding for the North-South Corridor, it does allocate almost twice that for a new freeway in western Washington from Tacoma to Puyallup. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) No kidding. Current priorities in the transportation budget include improvements to traffic safety like bike lanes. Yes, so you're going to get a bunch of places around the, the state where you see these, you know, green paints that you're not familiar with. You're like, what is this green paint? Oh, you know, that's a green way. That means they're saving the environment because that green paint that's uh, supposedly PCB free paint that's all over the place in certain neighborhoods, they're cleaning up the environment with that green paint, folks, yep. and it's fixing your st- street. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's it's not. It's not. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, and that, that whole thing about it, more freeway money for the west side and they cut off funding for us. That seems like a similar story. But, Mike, we're going to have to take a side street to avoid some of that road construction. We'll be right back. Are you considering selling or buying a home this year? Call Jennifer Swisher at 509-220-5373. Perhaps you'd like to buy a home and have been discouraged by the high prices and lack of inventory. In this challenging market, you want to have an ethical advocate, a real estate agent with years of local experience and proven results. So what are others saying about Jennifer Swisher? Well, Bob and Debbie Johnson had this to say. We've used Jennifer Swisher for four deals over the years. She's been professional, timely, and kept us well-informed each time. We plan on staying in our current home for a while, but when we move again, we wouldn't use anyone else for selling our current home. How about Lexi Riggin? Here's what she had to say. We used Jennifer to buy our house three years ago. I highly recommend her to everyone. She's responsive, kind, understanding, knowledgeable, and wants the very best for you. And finally, Melissa Burke, a fellow realtor, and this is what she had to say. Jennifer Swisher is a five-star agent and more. I've listed and sold three homes with her, and I've always been so impressed with her professionalism. She's very knowledgeable about the market and immediately has the house listed and open houses scheduled. The entire process from listing to closing is seamless, which makes the sale an enjoyable experience for both buyer and seller. So what do you say, folks? Call Jennifer Swisher now at 509-220-5373. And welcome back from the break, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for rejoining Mike and Tim on Where Did Our Gas Tax Money Go? This Wednesday episode here on Right Spokane well, Perspective. Well, that question got partially answered in the first half right there at the end, Mike, because it's going to the west side and to bike lanes. Yeah, there you go. And in addition to that, Tim, how about this? $1.12 billion, with a B, over 10 years for a hybrid electric ferry system, plus more than $20 million on training and hiring ferry 
workers. And last now, but now, not least, now are you t- you're not talking about you know this equity thing. And it, that's hiring the last and but not least coming right up, man. It's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I just knew it. <laughs> so so here we're gonna have an, there's gonna be electric ferry, even though they just dumped a bunch of money into new ferries, new yep. engines in ferries, and, and of course we know that most of the other side of the state sees ferries. We don't see any ferries over here. When we go register our vehicles and there's that ferry fee on there, people always ask me about that. What the heck are we paying a ferry fee over here for all the time? Exactly, man. Well, it funds our state infrastructure, but you know, maybe the west side should be paying north-south freeway fee. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe that's what, should, you know, we, we want to talk about equity. I just think that it would be more equitable if all the people that register their vehicles on the other side of the Cascade Curtain would pay a north-south freeway fee to guarantee that our infrastructure is cared for. Because that freeway should be done already. Right. I mean, it should have been done probably years ago. If you look at traffic planning, you look at what they're doing, you know, over in the Idaho area, look over in Idaho and see what they're doing, expanding their roadways. And they're doing it in such a way that I think that they're way ahead of Washington in planning, but they're way behind because look at the state. They're the second fasting uh, fastest growing state in the nation. In the nation, yeah. So they've got all these new people there all of a sudden. They got housing developments popping up everywhere and there's they're doing a good job trying to keep up with infrastructure. They're widening freeways, they're widening highways, they're widening intersections like crazy over there. We can't get one freeway section done. Nope. Sure can't, man. And it's only ten and a half miles long. Yes. With five miles of it already completed. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. It's pretty bad. What a joke. But you see but you still see I actually I saw an article this last week that government projects when you're talking about schools and you know, like the stadiums we're building and all this stuff is outpacing private commercial construction. Uh-huh. Which in the past was typically not the case private commercial construction way outpaced government spending on infrastructure and facilities and things of that nature government spending way more than the private sector or the commercial side but yet we're just spending it everywhere but on the one or two places where everyone's like yeah we need that done now yeah like they were saying that 10 years ago and we're still holding it. We're like, why are you spending all this money everywhere? Right. There's only so many concrete contractors that can haul concrete and dirt, and they're using them up in all these other projects when we need the freeway done. Yeah, you bet, you bet. Well, we're going to stick with some infrastructure, at least through this next update article, if you will. And basically, folks, a couple of weeks ago, we brought you some coverage here with regard to attacks on our electrical grid infrastructure. We had a series of attacks that occurred over in North Carolina. And as well, we had four or five transfer stations, both in Oregon as well as Washington, that ended up getting hit. I heard they uh, actually found a couple of culprits. They did. And here is your headline, man. And I'm doing a sigh of relief, a great big We really dodged a big one there because I was thinking all along that it was probably the onset of more eco-terrorism going on to make their point, you know, about the electricity, about coal fire, 
power plants that provide the electricity, yada, yada, I'm yada. I'm surprised they didn't just blame it on some rabid squirrel. But as it turns out, man, it was two guys that had nothing but a robbery motive that was involved in this. And here's your headline. Trying to turn out the lights. The FBI says two men attacked Washington's electric grid in order to commit a robbery. Now, two men have been charged with federal crimes for attacking substations in Washington State, an act of sabotage that left thousands without power on Christmas Day. Federal agents say that one of the men confessed to knocking out the power in order to commit a burglary by emptying the cash register of a local business during the power outage. That, that's it's, it's small cookies. The damage they did, the amount of cost to you know the power company, not just for the damage, but also the loss of customer usage right because yeah, they can't charge you for time, power man. you don't use the amount of damage they did it was, it's kind of like that gal that you know wanted to s- steal a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff but caused like seven million dollars damage to the home depot right right these now, criminals burn, are burning it down you know are, are <laughs> awful if you're gonna do prison time possibly for your crime don't do 1000 times the damage that you think you're actually going to benefit from your criminal activity i know isn't that nuts but again you know i have definitely got to breathe a sigh of relief and a great big whew, we sure dodged a big one on that because, like I said, I was thinking all along that it had to have been, you know, eco-terrorism or some kind of domestic terrorism. Mike, I, I don't even know why we're still talking about it. It was the Russians all along. <laughs> it was the Russians. She did it. All right. Another little update here, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Jordan Peterson. Now, about a week and a half or so ago, I introduced you to his name. I am seriously encouraging, strongly encouraging you. Jump on YouTube. Jump on Google. Please Google and search for Dr. Jordan Peterson. This guy is a psychologist. Now, you you might want to wait till the weekend to do this because he's got so many profound things that he says (laughs) that make leftists cringe. When we hear them, they sound profound, man. But, I mean, if you think that common sense... Is, is profound, profound nowadays come but on it, man but it, it's the way he articulates the ideas that m- most individuals that are saying hold and and kind of the the place where most of americans have been you know for a several hundred years on the ideas around life yeah. and and the politics just doesn't match up with reality right and so he articulates things in a way that once you start seeing his videos and you start looking at the things that he's doing i think he's working he's done a lot with prager university he's done a lot with i think he's working with daily wire now that ben shapiro's group yeah and so you know he's been very controversial and that's all started and spurred from i believe him refusing to use because he's a college professor refusing to use different kinds of pronouns Mm -hmm. and he's not going to go off into the radical leftist thing because he's like i'm trying to teach a class here i'm not trying to reinvent gender yeah exactly (laughs) he's he's on the firing squad for that yet again you bet here's your headline ladies and gentlemen jordan peterson ordered to enter a re-education program in canada over his comments and speech that may cause harm he is refusing to comply Now, Jordan Peterson has been ordered by a Canadian psychology governing body to enter what Peterson calls a re-education program reportedly over his past comments and speech that may cause harm. Not surprisingly, Peterson said last Wednesday, he formally indicated his refusal to comply with the demands of the College of Psychologists of Ontario. 
Peterson posted to Twitter parts of a document from the College of Psychologists of Ontario that outlined its concerns over his public statements made on social media during a January 25th, 2022 podcast appearance that may have lacked professionalism. The document indicates that Peterson is to work with another professional to review, reflect on, and ameliorate his professionalism in public statements and complete a coaching program. <laughs> yeah, a coaching program. And that all is tied what to a freaking all joke, Canada. Of this now, I actually have an article that Mike's going to have to look at here for a second that comes from a local author who's uh, in, with an organization that in the past we've reported on on it here a couple years ago there was some scandals up there with you know students and sexual behaviors they've put a few new people on staff and one of those individuals is pretty well known politically and they wrote an article for the journal of business here recently and that's the excelsior program that deals with troubled youth so i just thought you'd grab that article there and that one paragraph was kind of interesting and it kind of flies in the face of people like jordan peterson Oh, wow. This thing about the LGBTQIA2S+. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of wow. new. That acronym has grown. Right. Well, I don't well, have any well, idea well, what that means. And supposedly this is a conservative viewpoint. Yeah. On Katara Johnson-Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, a, so this is where what she's saying in this thing that she wrote about businesses and organizations about the, what, what was the full acronym again? It's LGBTQIA2S+. And what? It, what? It, so and here's and here's what she's saying. There is still a long way to go before trans persons are fully accepted in the workplace. Organizations can help trans employees by providing gender-neutral restrooms and changing rooms, using inclusive language in job ads and employee communications, and training all staff on trans inclusion. Companies often neglect the necessity for robust rules and procedures to support migrating personnel. That involves providing accurate pronouns and titles, gender-neutral uniforms, and transition-related health care. Transition-related health care. Okay, so that's that's the Excelsior Youth Program human resource manager speaking. And, and I understand that in Washington state law, that's kind of where we've gone with a lot of things. But how do you stay accurate with pronouns when she started the article, or at that piece of the article with, LGBTQIA2S+. I didn't know about the two or the S. I I, have no idea. I think I've tried to stay pretty informed on these things because we read a lot of the news and we pay attention to what the the wokeism ideology is bringing us. How can employers keep up with an acronym that's turning into the alphabet and numbers? Well, you know, once again, man, it's not the color of your skin. It's the character. No, well, and now it's not the the color of your skin because you can pretend to be different colors too right well i mean um, the same thing would would apply to i mean anything man right right well you know? of course but the thing is now is they're demanding all of this other stuff like well the they can pronouns. continue they can continue Zerze. to demand because we're not playing but that's why jordan peterson is yet in trouble again yes, because that is the correct. canadian government and and i think when he started battling with the canadian education leviathan because he is a professor and a psych i believe a psychologist and 
he part of all their associations and does what he's supposed to do there. When he got embattled at the college, I think it was still just LGBTQ, or it might even just have been LGB, LGB, it might have been. <laughs> Who knows? Because it just keeps on growing. How far do we let this grow? Are we just supposed to accept anything? You know, do, does everyone get to bring their pets to work? Well, I'll I tell you, Tim, I, let me answer that by saying this. You and I already know, because we've discussed it over the years, that there's well over 100 recognized genders, okay? Right. Well over 100. So, well, that, and that, know, that was 112 I, master lists. I remember when we played Name That Gender Game. Yeah, yeah. That was several years back. We were in a different studio. We've actually changed locations since then. And uh, that was... Man, that was like four years ago, Mike. Yeah. I, I don't know what the master list is now, but it could be giant. So, you know, where how far does this go? Do we let the pets come to work? Does everyone, you know, self-identify as a pet owner where everything goes? We have to tolerate it. That's kind of where tolerance seems to go. So I want to end out the show with something from actually the AARP brought a little bit of humor into my life. Now, well, yes, there you go. Have I been reading AARP? Just you know, just think about it for a minute. We're, you know, we got to prepare early, Mike. (laughs) All right. So, uh, so this is some petty remarks from ARP circular. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to see it, a chihuahua 500 miles away will still bark at it. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about the St. Joe center veterinary free belly rubs with exam. Sorry, pets only. (laughs) Our dog swallowed a bag of Scrabble tiles. The vet is checking into it, checking into him, checking him out. No word yet. <laughs> Scrabble tiles. That's funny stuff. Man, so, you you got to follow that puppy around for a while. <laughs> got to start spelling Dropping words. tiles everywhere. Dropping tiles. So, yeah, this, this insanity that, you know, Jordan Peterson's dealing with and we're dealing with. And, of course, the Furbies, that's kind of where I was going with bringing the pets to work. You know, I, and I don't think the Furbies was listed in that LGBTQIA2S+. No, there, there wasn't an F in there. <laughs> so are we going to let it keep continuing? I don't know, folks. I'm telling you what, man, it's just pretty crazy stuff for sure. All of that being said, Mike and Tim are out of here today. We'll be back at you in your face again tomorrow. Bye-bye.